the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 510 for March 20th, 2016. A look ahead to Apple's press event, free streaming baseball from T-Mobile, and Google Maps brings in ride-sharing data. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, first up, some conversation about Apple's product news coming out this week. Apple, of course, hosting an event tomorrow, Monday, uh, the 21st of March at 10 a.m. at its headquarters in Cupertino. This will be the first time Apple will introduce an iPhone on two separate occasions during the same year. Still, of course, we're expecting the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus to hit later this fall. Now, a new 4-inch handset known unofficially uh, at this moment as the iPhone SE will become the cheapest new iPhone uh, in Apple's offering. So it begs the question, why now? So why does a smaller iPhone make any sense to launch halfway through the latest phone cycle? And really the answer is because iPhone sales are slowing down and there's still a lot of users who haven't upgraded their devices in the last couple of years. If you look at the overall iPhone install base that you have out there today, you've got approximately half of the people that are out there right now that are using not the latest model. And further than that, you've got a a good chunk of those people that are using two-year-old models or older. In fact, I still work with someone who's using an iPhone 4S. I know many of us uh, have seen those older iPhones that are still around, and it's amazing if you're using one of the latest iPhones that's out there to see what one of those looks like up against yours. But Enter then a smaller iPhone in the iPhone SE or 5SE. We're not really sure what it's going to be called, but probably going to look a lot like the iPhone 5S on the outside. The guts of it will be similar to the 6 or maybe even 6S. We'll see. Likely will support uh, Apple Pay, obviously helping Apple with that initiative for mobile payments. But uh, some of the features that the 6S has, like 3D Touch, are not expected. So we'll see what happens with that. But the most anticipated feature of the new phone, though, the price. So analysts are hoping that a price tag could drop it below $400, maybe even as low as $350. Although some people are saying upwards of $450 just based on what the components are going to cost. So that is the same price as what the 5S today cost. But if you get something that's a lot better on the inside, it might be worth the 450 for the consumer. So one thing, so Apple has, you know, traditionally kind of left the older models around uh, for a couple of years, like they've done with the 5S to sell as the cheaper alternatives to the latest and greatest devices. Now that we're, you know, beyond that uh, time period here for the 5S, uh, you know, they're introducing something new with that same four inch screen, which was introduced with the iPhone 5. So we've got a lot of people out there still want a smaller device. And, uh, you know, I actually, I know quite a few people who are not interested even in the 4.7 inch screen because of the size of the iPhone 6 or 6S. It's just too big for them. So, uh, you know, having a newer device with uh, hopefully almost, you know, modern features, at least processor speed and memory, uh, is something that is attractive to a bunch of people. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, and there are some days where I look at at this this 6S and I look at it and I say, you know, this is this is too small. I could absolutely use something bigger. And then there are days like today 
that I was sitting here looking at it and I don't remember what it was that I was trying to do. I was probably eating lunch with one hand and, and reading on it on the other. And I was trying to get to the top of the screen and it's still fairly difficult to do um, if you are if you don't have it just right in your hand. And so I was thinking, I don't know how I could possibly use anything bigger than this because it just it doesn't it doesn't feel as comfortable as something that was smaller for that type of navigation. Yeah, and I completely agree. I mean, I, I do like the big screen. It's really nice to have the big screen, but I it, it, it is it, it to me it's the absolute maximum i will not have a, a bigger device than that uh if i can help it because it's it, it does become too cumbersome a lot of people are going to disagree with that statement and that's fine that's why we've got the different sizes and that's uh, that's kind of the beauty of what apple has done right now with separating out these three different sizes absolutely and i fully agree and fully understand and uh would love to have all the extra choices i mean literally they should, they should almost have a fourth size in here somewhere i mean maybe not as small as the three and a half inch of uh, days gone by but uh, maybe there should be uh, you know four sizes for phones. I, I'm not sure what the right answer is, but um, it's definitely something that that that's attractive to a bunch of people who don't want to have a really big phone. Yeah, and again, this is we're not talking about people who are looking for you know, something that is like the, the cheap on the, you know, the cheapest phone that's out there, but they're looking for something that's new that doesn't necessarily fit the mold of what Apple re releases every fall. And so I think that makes a lot more sense when you think about someone who is going to be more price conscious, doesn't care about spending uh, or does care about spending the extra money, doesn't care about waiting and was, you know, more enamored by that smaller size. So it does make sense to feel all that kind of coming together with this launch. Well, and then also, like you'd said that, you know, maybe a mid-year, uh, you know, phone release here gives Apple and gives, you know, the carrier store something to promote saying we have a brand new iPhone here. Um, granted, most people don't understand that it's not a brand new iPhone uh, internally. Uh, they see it's a brand new iPhone and it's got a, a, a very competitive price. Let me go with this one. And, and it, it's something that's easy to sell. And this could be, you know, a way to, to help the iPhone sales uh, for people that, you know, are kind of on the edge or, yes, uh, kind of in need of an upgrade or something like that. And, and of course, even uh, something that just popped into my mind when you're talking about, you know, maybe an iPhone 7 release this year, maybe they'll push it out. Who knows? Maybe we won't have an iPhone 7 on a yearly cycle here. There, you know, that is possible. I, I, however, I think it's exceptionally unlikely that they... Uh, will not have an iPhone 7 this year. But, uh, I, you know, it is possible they could start stretching out the iPhone times as well, like they did with the iPad and a few other devices. Perhaps. I think the difference is that they've got, uh, they're not really incentivized to. They're, in fact, they're leaving money on the table if they, they do that, I believe, just because people are ready to upgrade after a certain amount of time. And you start to see that roll, of course, two years after, uh, or even one year in this case now after that. So, um, but uh, going back to something, you know, we know kind of a lot about this device at this point. Um, we have talked about the rumors for the last couple of months. And so what we don't know though, is how Apple's going to be positioning it. We can only assume based on the pieces of information that we've pulled together, that it's going to be a cheaper device, that it's going to be a smaller device that's going to be positioned at a, a different type of customer. So I'll be really interested to see how Apple, t how, what their take is on this and how they position this in their, in their lineup. So essentially, this is going to be the kind of the upgrade to the the iPhone 5C, which was their first 
kind of uh, custom made, um, you know, this will be the follow up to that, to the custom made, you know, cheap, you know, quote unquote, cheaper device, uh, because years past, they did not do that. They had the iPhone 4, 4S, 5, 5, 5S, and then they, you know, introduced the 5C as a, as a device to kind of fit in. So this is the follow up to that. So I, I imagine this is, this will be in that same kind of you know, offshoot category and not like the smaller size iPhone. At least that's what it kind of seems like. Yeah, I think you're probably right with that one. And, you know, by taking this approach of, you know, grabbing internals that are, I'll just say at the very least six months old, but maybe even 18 months old, uh, they can cut the cost down dramatically on on what it's going to make take to manufacture this and then ultimately what the price point is going to be. So that uh, we expect to be one of the leading uh, topics uh, of the event uh, next. And I think even a little bit more predominantly placed in this particular event is going to be an updated iPad and the 9.7 inch iPad specifically. Of course, Apple released its iPad Pro at almost 13 inches and the smaller 7.9 inch iPad mini 4 last fall. And then uh, come tomorrow, we should see the introduction of the follow up to the iPad Air 2, um, potentially calling it uh, the iPad Pro 9.7 or something to that effect. Um, but uh, look for additions similar to what we've seen with the iPad Pro, Apple Smart Connector. We're talking about potentially stereo speakers all around this thing. Um, and uh, of course, Apple Pencil stylus uh, support with it as well. Yeah, and then also a flash on the camera from the, uh, the, 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 the leaked case design. So that could be a very interesting uh, feature as well. Something I've always wondered why they don't have flashes on iPads because the cameras have really uh, improved quite a bit over the past couple generations. Um, having the Apple, the you know, pencil support uh, is very interesting. Uh, you know, for me, I don't know how useful it is. I've tried a stylus in the past with the iPad and it's completely worthless essentially because it's, you know, it's a touch screen. It's not a, a digitizer. So, uh, you know, having pencil support is, you know, it's basically a completely different ball of wax uh, uh, and that you can't even compare the two because they're, you know, completely different input uh, functions. Um, I don't have much drawing support and I don't know how to draw myself at all. So I, <laughs> and my handwriting is atrocious. So I'm going to stick to a keyboard. So, which actually was going to bring me to the next question. Are you planning to, let's say you decide yourself to get this upgrade. Do you see any, any value in a, an Apple created keyboard that, uh, ties in with the smart connector like they're talking about? Uh, you know, I don't because I have a, a Bluetooth keyboard. I like a lot. It's a Zag one. It, it was, you know, I got it for 12 bucks and I really like typing on it. And the times when I have used it, it's great, but I literally have zero reason to ever use the keyboard. I've, I've used it, you know, five times in three years and, uh, I just have zero need for it. And so basically that, uh, that is no, I, I really have no need for it the way I use an iPad. Yeah, and that's and that is really, I guess, the the whole point of of the way that they're designing these products at this point is to give you that customized, um, you know, experience where you can use as much or as little of their offerings as 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 you'd like. I mean, there's nothing that says that you have to get the keyboard. There's nothing that says you have to get the pencil, but they offer these features. And if it doesn't work out and fit into your workflow, then that's okay. They don't really care. Um, but uh, they they do make them available for you. So, um, you know, interestingly, with the timing of this one. Uh, iPad sales have been in a relative free fall over the past two years. Um, they had hoped that the iPad Pro, I think, would be that, uh, you know, that kick in the pants that they needed there to attract new users. But it really hasn't caught on, at least not in the way I think they, they thought it would. 
Yeah, and you know what? And I, it's good that Apple can, you know, they have the ability to let these markets mature and 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 you know let the let the the time not be so required to have these huge sales numbers and these big updates and the big pushes and in granted yes it doesn't live up to uh, expectations of of investors and expectations of analysts but uh, you know, like what we've seen is that the customer satisfaction surveys of the iPad and, you know, myself included in that, I, I just wouldn't go without one at all. I, you know, the, even if the price doubled, I, I think I'd still have one because it, it's such a, a, a great device. And, you know, you, you can't build up a, a solid, solid base like that if you're introducing new models constantly and or you're outdating them constantly. Uh, you, you know, if they, they they keep this kind of slow, consistent uh, upgrade cycle, people who have an iPad love their iPad. And yes, they maybe hold on to it for a lot longer. But you know what? Uh, when they're finally like, gosh, I should get a new iPad. They don't think, oh, I should go get a Samsung Galaxy tablet. They'll go get the new iPad because this last one lasted them years and it works great still. And and I think that's uh, what they're kind of looking for. And of course, you know, building up this quality, uh, you know, kind of uh, foundation, uh, it'll lead more towards, you know, business users deploying them more into the future versus laptops. And, and of course, that's what I really kind of think about this iPad Pro 9.7 with the keyboard support is it's definitely an enterprise uh, device or a, a professional device that'll be more geared towards workplace deployments. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a good point. And, you know, going back to something you said, uh, it, this is, you know, it's being released at a time which is, give or take, what, 18 months after the iPad Air 2 was released? Because that yeah. was in the fall of 2014, right? There yep. was no new iPad in 15. Correct. Um, at least on, the, on that size. And, uh, you know, which was essentially a follow-up from the iPad Air that was released in the fall of 2013. So I look right now at an iPad that I have that is now, okay, I, I, of course, I just didn't follow that. So two plus six, so 30 months old. And it, outside of the conversation we had on last week's show about blowing it away and starting over, it has actually been working flawlessly this week. It's been amazing. Phone has been amazing. I haven't had any issues with anything. Now that I say that, I'm probably, it's going to blow up on me tonight, <laughs> yep, yep, but yep, whatever. Yep. Um, you know, but either way, it's been just working great. And so um, it, it, it proves a point that it, these things, these devices do have longevity. Um, they do have the ability to go for a really long time. If you've got an iPad that you're happy with, there's no reason that you necessarily need to do an upgrade. Um, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, my son uses the iPad Air 2. And for what he uses, it still works just not Air, Air 2, the iPad 2. So sorry, a 2011 device this was uh coming up here on now almost five years old believe that or not so uh in fact it is would be five years old uh coming up here this summer i believe so it's amazing how quickly that's gone it you know it really is and of course that was you know kind of an early early generation device I mean, yes it was the second generation device and and that was a, a, a phenomenal upgrade over the original ipad because i i had an ipad uh too and absolutely loved that device and and that really solidified um you know, Apple for me, for me, I didn't actually buy that. It was, uh, it was actually kind of a, uh, uh, a company gift. I, I, I chose that as, um, and it, it lived up to every expectation and exceeded it to every, by every means the, uh, the iPad two. And that's what, you know, really got me into 
Apple products in general. Um, and it's just, it's one of these things where it's, it's, it's a longer term cycle. And I think, you know, Apple's realized that, uh, for this, for this product line, it's not, it's not going to have the sales of, you know, netbooks and laptops did a few years ago because, uh, people have all those netbooks and laptops and they're still running just fine because, uh, you know, because the, the devices and the, the, you know, computers haven't really changed that much in, in all these years too. So it's just, it's a different market now. It is. And, you know, I, I love that as, as time has gone on the, you know, what was it once thought of as a very compartmentalized, you know, we used to joke about it. We used to call it the toilet tab, right? I mean, it was, it was just not a device that seemed to have the productivity that, you know, you got out of a laptop. And now there's, I mean, I think about myself, uh, you know, I, I, I have this internal struggle of having the keyboard on it because it becomes so productive for me during the workday to be able to follow up with emails and stay on top of texts. And I use the keyboard shortcuts like crazy now, and it just works out so well. Um, that it to me it is just like a laptop replacement and I don't see any real reason um, to have a laptop in most cases um, and I'll, I'll come back to something with that in a second too because I, I there's there's something that in the computing world that's gonna come online here I think uh, with a vengeance uh, over the next couple of years that's gonna be very interesting right and, and you know I fully agree Mickey because I haven't used a laptop in years now and uh, I just bring just the iPad with me and the you know the built-in LTE support I you know uh, remote desktop uh, into the servers and computers and whatever else I'm doing to, you know, do work I need to do or just, you know, email for the native apps. And of course, all the native apps bring it in. And, and this is how I see, you know, uh, you know, how I envision, you know, companies running with the expense of running PCs these days, even, you know, even Macs and, and Windows. If you can deploy an iPad, for example, to get work done for people, if you have, you know, uh, enterprise apps that have been programmed, you know, the security and the manage that the price to manage these devices. And of course they're, they, they hold up fabulously well too. Uh, it just becomes way cheaper in the long run. And in fact, then the users even like them better because they're lighter and they run their other apps and they're just easier to use. So there's uh there's, there's, you know, obviously a movement going on, uh, on the mobile device side where uh, the bring your own device movement, uh, where you've got a lot of people, um, that now essentially are using their mobile phones at, uh, that they purchase themselves on uh, on their company's dime effectively, right? So you get or you get a reimbursement based on on the the plan that you have, and so um, that movement is going to, I believe, make its way over to the PC side or the equipment side, where employees are now going to be offered some sort of stipend uh, to bring to purchase a device that they have and get to use for a period of time, call it three or four years or whatever the, you know, the company decides. But that device is um, one that is being chosen by the employee and it is not managed at all by an IT department except for um, a virtualized desktop that can be deployed and uh, pools of virtualized desktops can be deployed out to users. And then ultimately there you've got a very, very controlled environment where you don't have data making its way across you know, devices and devices that get lost. It's all compartmentalized virtually there. And so you can get pretty much everything that you need to done. You can um, have all of it not on your device. That's the other great advantage of this, because if it's your personal device, you don't want to have, you know, gigabytes upon gigabytes of email clogging up your personal device. And, uh, and ultimately you're, you, you, 
if you leave the company, there's no data that's out there. It's all on this uh, on this virtualized thing. So I've been testing it out with the company that I work with. Um, it's working out um, in certain ways very well. In other ways, we're going through some growing pains with it, and we're that's why I'm testing it out as we're trying to figure out how this could be deployed across an, an entire workforce. Uh, but ultimately, it's great because you've got applications that work on the Mac, on the PC, on the iPad, even on the iPhone, and so you can get access to your desktop very much like how you would through a remote desktop client. This, though, is the an actual full computer behind uh, what you're looking at in a virtualized environment, and you don't have a piece of hardware sitting somewhere. Absolutely, and this is the way um, you know it's it, things have gone full circle. You know, it's kind of like uh, days gone past where you had the mainframe and you had you know terminals uh, that 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 connected to the mainframe. And, you know, everybody used the same system and it was secure because there was no data stored on any of these terminals. They were, you know, you know, basically telephone lines or ISDN lines or some sort of digital, uh, you know, connectivity uh, to that. But now we've gone, now networks and internet speeds have caught up to uh, a speed where now everybody can use remote desktops. And of course, virtualization and hardware has gotten cheaper uh, in order to make this kind of, uh, you know, these PCs runs in, you know, major containers environments where you can have all this stuff deployed securely and this is what's happened you know over the past 15 years you know networks weren't fast enough to do this kind of thing and and also the the software wasn't really there yet so everybody had all these you know laptops and desktop computers where people had spreadsheets full of data on their laptops that have been stolen and you know we've had data breaches like crazy over you know the past two decades of you know people having excel spreadsheets sitting on their laptops and 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 doing this virtualization and and bring your own device kind of gets rid of all of that possible well not all of it but it really reduces the possibility and keeps data much more contained uh in in a corporate environment of course if you're not online there's an issue with this but think about how often that happens i mean even when you're on a plane which i think is the the first place that people you know think about you still have a connection uh, if you want it over Wi-Fi. Maybe not strong enough to do a virtualized environment, uh, but uh, but nonetheless, you still could get away with you know doing some stuff. Uh, certainly, um, you know web apps or whatever, I guess. Uh, but anyway, very interesting stuff. I, I think that uh, you know as we as we continue through, um, you know we'll we'll talk more about it. You know with what the release is this week, but. Continuing on with a more powerful iPad of this size obviously appeals a lot to me. Um, I have to figure out if it's going to be enough for me, um, but uh, I'll certainly be at an Apple store checking one of these things out as soon as it gets launched because I've got a big interest in it. Of course, the uh, uh, the, the fact that it could potentially have stereo speakers is a huge deal to me. Um, I do a lot of my conference calls over my iPad just because the speaker on it is so much more powerful than the phone. Um, so I love doing phone calls on it if I'm doing if I want to do a conference call over a speaker. And uh, I would prefer to have even better sound come out of it, not only for that, but of course, for watching video and, and music as well. Yeah, and I would as well. I don't know if it'd be quite enough to make me jump on this device. Maybe I'll wait another, you know, six, seven months. And uh, uh, but the iPad Air two had much better sound than the iPad Air as well. So I'm, uh, it's, it was definitely an upgrade for me. So I'm uh, pretty happy with the the, the iPad Air two sound. Yeah, so there's a number of things that we could see with this, and this could absolutely be a very interesting device. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about with that. Uh, and then next up, uh, new Apple Watch 
bands. Uh, so not, wa- not not the Apple Watch itself. Uh, this is almost a, um, a guarantee that we won't see a new watch at this point. I think we would have heard a lot more about that. But the tagline for the event is let us loop you in. So potentially either that the headquarters is on infinite loop or new looped watch bands. We're not really sure what's going to happen with that, but we expect to see new colors, potentially materials and other partnerships like the uh, Hermes branded uh, stuff that we saw here last year. I guess I'm not surprised we're not going to see a new Apple Watch uh, because of the the you know the the price of uh, the higher uh, the more expensive models, um, especially the gold one. So I'm not surprised at that. However, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see new hardware, but I I, I think it's going to be a longer period of time until we see that. Uh, we know that there's uh you know going to be it's it's just watches are different. They're you know the expectation that it's going to be changing constantly. I don't think they want to set that expectation even because it it, it it's just not it's not realistic really. Yeah, and you know for the the argument that well we could use some better internals, some better you know, um, you know, better uh, speed and memory and all that stuff on the inside. I, I think, you know, they hopefully address some of it with software updates. So I think that is a more likely scenario that we see new software other than hardware. Right. Because the interface needs work. I mean, it, it, it's decent. It, you know, notifications come in nicely, but, you know, interacting with it, it, it it's bizarre. I mean, it's it, it's it's very strange to use the Apple Watch. I mean, it, it's got lots of functionality. It's very neat. You know, it tells time handy. It's got lots and lots of handy features, but uh, actually interacting with it is is just weird. And, and they could fix all that with software. Yeah. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, all the idea of being able to use multiple watches with one phone is uh, something that people have have, uh, you know, speculated on or improvements to maps, stuff like that. So um, Apple may also use this event to talk about iOS 9.3, uh, the new night shift feature that's included in there. Uh, I think that's that's a, something that they're going to want to spend a lot of time on because obviously a lot of people are using their devices in bed and uh, the argument that blue light is... Um, you know, is, is a, is something that keeps you awake is something that I think a lot of people realize. And, and so I think this is a really nice thing they're doing to address that. Yes. Yeah, so I, you know, we'll see that they'll, they'll announce the 9.3 and the, uh, the new Apple, uh, the, the Mac OS, uh, dot, I think it's dot four update, I think is the one that's coming uh, out. It's, it's in like beta seven. Yeah. Uh, 10.11.4 is what they'll probably announce as well to kind of go along with the new features and the, the new watch OS. There's also, it's been in beta, whole bunch of public beta releases. So I'm sure they'll uh, update those three uh, software components. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some interesting, some interesting other things as well that, uh, you know, kind of little tiny things. So we'll see if that all gets announced here, but uh, what, how many betas are we up to now? I think it's like seven or seven? eight. Yeah. It's quite a few. So it's, it's time. It's ready to get this thing out the door. Uh, don't forget about security. Uh, sure to be a mention of the security of devices following the battle. Um, that we've been talking about with the FBI that actually kicks off on Tuesday. So uh, I don't know if there's um, going to be a real big focus on it, but I'm almost feeling like there's going to be some mention of it. Yeah, there, there may be some mention of it. Um, you know, if it's, it, it won't be in this release cause it's just too early, but uh, I, I, they may even, uh, you know, tease that this, the upcoming iOS may have uh, more secure. So I, it, because that's definitely something they're going to uh, try to, to get done as soon as they can. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like the, the overall kind of idea that Apple is, you know, taking a stand with this is something that they are, are not going to back down on. Um, even, even if they're told by the government to do something, they're going to do whatever they can in future updates with the software to make it, um, further, more, furtherly more difficult or impossible to get into devices. And I'm just going to go on a rant here and, you know, something we've talked about for years as soon as they introduced Find My iPhone, uh, the ability to still shut your phone off uh, when your phone is locked still drives me insane. And now with the control center, if you have that feature enabled, you can put it into airplane mode and disable the, you know, remote kill uh, through a cellular or Wi-Fi connection to me is just baffling why that isn't an option where you can disable powering off and disable the uh, control center airplane mode um, is beyond me because that would be a security feature uh, for your device where you could wipe wipe the device remotely um, if your device is stolen and or, and or in some other control uh, you as the owner have that you know have better control over it. It's interesting because you know I, I think about well that would that would create an inconvenience right um, you know I to not be able to put it into airplane mode. How often do you put your device in airplane mode? I mean, even if you're traveling a lot, it's only a couple of times, you know, a week at most. You know, right. how hard is it to push the button and have it read your fingerprint in half a second and slide it up and press it then, you know? Yeah. Um, or further, if you've got an Apple Watch, uh, it syncs over. So all you do is you pull out your watch, you push airplane mode, and it's done. Right. You know, you don't you don't need to have it on the lock screen like that. You're absolutely right. Um, so uh, real quick, uh, what we won't see new Macs, Apple TVs, new larger iPhones. I do not think we're going to come out with. And of course, the watches. I think those are the big things. Maybe a Mac slight refresh every once in a while. They, you know, uh, bump processor specs and things. But I don't think we're going to see anything other than a you know simple spec. Spec bump. We won't see a new MacBook, for example. Uh, you know, no, nothing. They're not going to take the MacBook Air and put a, a Retina display on it. I, I don't think. Yeah. No, I, I don't think so. Not yet. Um, we're going to get this show out early this week, so we'll have well over 24 hours before you will uh, hear uh, with the actual stuff that is that gets announced with this. But um, we'll certainly be uh, following it and talking about it on next week's show with uh, all the announcements that get made. Let's jump into the news for the week. Uh, first up, a federal judge siding with AT&T saying consumers suing the carrier over its throttling practices cannot work together as a group. Instead, consumers must pursue individual arbitration with the carrier per their signed user agreements. AT&T was accused of throttling customers who paid for unlimited data plans once they consumed a certain amount of data each month. Some were throttled when they reached 3 gigs, some at 5 gigs. AT&T believed to have throttled the speeds of some 3.5 million customers between 2011 and 2015. Side note, I was one of them uh, in a couple of months. I did go over 3 gigs. AT&T now allows customers with unlimited plans to use 22 gigs of data per month before throttling them and only then does it uh, when the network is congested the class action suit against uh, them would have been too costly for AT&T uh, would have been costly for AT&T the majority of customers likely won't pursue individual arbitration due to the related expenses AT&T still facing legal action from the FTC over the same issue and they are winding its way through the federal courts uh, due for another round in June so, yeah, I know you're going to uh, spend all the time to uh, pursue this uh, per the agreement. And this is what, you know, in these, the, you know, the, the, the fines that they may get from the FTC. Why did they do this in the first place? Why didn't they say it's it's unlimited with a three gig cap? You know, just all they have to do is explicitly say that 
in their all their advertising, they wouldn't have an issue. It just baffles me. This is an unlimited plan. That's it. Oh, but then secretly, oh, it's three gigs only. Uh, it just just baffling why they would decide that this is a good idea. Let's mislead uh, customers uh, about what what is actually going on. It's uh, you know ultimately, I think just the, the the marketing of trying to keep it as I'll say mainstream as possible. Um, you know, I, I sent you an image last night of what Verizon's uh, FiOS service is showing. Um, me when I log into my account. And it's the same type of thing where um, it, it, it seems silly to me, but I'm sure it makes a lot of sense for the majority of consumers where it shows, you know, under the my usage section, it shows me my internet device or my internet data usage. And it shows me the number of connected devices. And it says your internet data use is high. And then it shows me at this like bucket level of 175 plus and it calls me a power user and then it says i use 10 plus devices as a power user and it, it seems really dumbed down but for most people they're not thinking about well what does that mean i don't know it's 175 gigs i don't know is that a lot i i used 175 gigs downloading the latest justin bieber album i guess right you know I mean, I, like they don't just don't know and so that's kind of the i think the the way that this the, a lot of this stuff is marketed out there is it's just how do we get this out to people who aren't thinking about this type of stuff and helping them to understand it so while they it, it is definitely misleading if you understand what unlimited data means um, and what why a three gig cap and throttling after that three gigs causes an issue uh, but for a lot of people it just it never mattered so uh, either way uh, to your point uh, no I don't, I'm not going after AT&T what do I care I'd left them years ago um, but uh, either way the FTC could still potentially um, you know, there could still be some sanctions that come down from them. So we'll see what, what happens with that. Verizon on Monday announcing the Verizon annual upgrade program beginning for the Samsung Galaxy S7 and S7 Edge. The program allows customers who finance either device to trade in their phone and upgrade to a new phone every year. Verizon says customers can upgrade to the new hardware after just 30 days as long as 50% of the phone's price has been paid. Customers who pre-order the S7 or S7 Edge will be enrolled in the annual upgrade program automatically as long as they choose a device payment plan to finance the phone. Customers don't have to upgrade if they don't want to, and Verizon says customers can continue to pay off their phones over 24 months, which they'll own at the end of two years just as before. Verizon says customers who switch or port in from another carrier can activate an S7 or S7 Edge and will receive $100 bill credit. The addition to the reimbursement for ETFs and other fees, uh, or this is in addition to those, and existing Verizon customers can receive up to $300, though it varies by device, if they trade in an existing handset for an S7 or an S7 Edge. The S7 is $670, the S7 Edge $780. Verizon cut an interconnect agreement with telecommunications company of Cuba, also known as Et Esca, at, at Exa, excuse me, this week, beginning, becoming the second U.S. carrier to sign such an agreement following Sprint. This also expands upon a roaming, roaming deal that Verizon made last September. So Verizon customers who travel to Cuba may already roam on uh, at Exa's, that's a hard one to say, their network. Those services are pricey. 
The Verizon Pays You Go International Travel option has calls made in Cuba at $3 a minute and data is $2.05 a megabyte. Text messaging charges are assessed at standard international rates. Verizon customers will be able to call Cuban numbers directly from the U.S. because before the agreement, calls could only be completed using third countries or using a third-party country, which of course increased the calling rate. The services uh, agreements will initially allow for offering of voice services through direct interconnection between the two countries and the operational and will be operational once implementation and technical testing has been completed. Uh, Verizon did not comment on the new agreement. Sprint on Tuesday said it was able to achieve peak LTE speeds reaching 300 megabits per second on the downlink with the Samsung Galaxy S7. The phone says Sprint is among the first to support the three-channel carrier aggregation. This is a feature of LTE Advanced, and in its lab, Sprint put together three 20 megahertz channels in the 2.5 gigahertz band to push peak speeds on the S7 up to 300 megabits per second. Sprint says the same setup can deliver approximately 200 megabits per second in real-world situations. The carrier has already deployed two-channel aggregation on its 2.5 gigahertz spectrum, delivering peak speeds of 100 megabits in more than 150 markets around the U.S. Sprint also holds its 160 megahertz of 2.5 gigahertz spectrum in a large number of its top U.S. markets, which will allow it to offer three-channel carrier aggregation as part of its LTE Plus network upgrade. Yeah, 160 megahertz of 2.5 spectrum. That is a lot of spectrum. So that does give them a, a massive amount of upgrade upgrade uh, capability, especially with you know future LTE implementations. It's very exciting uh, that they're, we're able to see these speeds on current devices that are out there. You know, we talk about the new chipsets that are coming out, and we talk about gigabit speeds and all of that, uh, and some of it seems kind of, uh, you know, far away, but we're not talking about stuff that's that far away when we're getting 300 megabits per second on a current device, something that just came out. So uh, it's very good to see, and uh, great to see that Sprint is taking advantage and marketing it as such. Yeah, and you better keep that unlimited plan so you don't use your monthly data allotment in, you know, 27 seconds. Yeah, especially on those speed tests. Got to you know check and make sure you're hitting the 300 megabits That's per right. second, right? T-Mobile said this week that baseball fans will be able to watch every regular season Major League Baseball game on their smartphones for free. T-Mobile partnered with MLB and is providing customers with a free year of MLB TV premium. T-Mobile customers can stream every out-of-market regular season game on their Apple or Google smartphone or tablet. And moreover, MLB TV premium falls under the Binge On program, so streaming games over cellular won't count against a data uh, the user's data packages. Uh, the deal also provides a free subscription to At Bat Premium. This is a mobile sports app for watching home and away broadcasts. But that, however, does not fall under the bin john and will be counted against your data plan the free year-long subscriptions expire february 28th 2017 t-mobile says people will be able to use these subscriptions on more than a single device interested fans sign up during the opening week between april 3rd and april 10th and if i remember uh, correctly it was a 110 dollar value this yeah. is yeah, in fact, I've been an MLB subscriber for uh, for years, and uh, of course, I didn't know about this. I should have because they had it last year too, and so I dutifully paid my hundred and ten dollars this year, which, by the way, was a drop of uh, fifteen dollars from last year based on a class action lawsuit um, that they had uh, for. Um, I think it was issues with uh, the auto, the home market games or something like that, and not being able to stream them. But either way, uh, out of luck for this year, but I'll have to remember it for next year. But if you're a T-Mobile user and a baseball fan, this is a great deal. 
In device news, LG on Monday said the Stylus 2 smartphone will be the first phone to ship with support for DAB Plus for digital radio broadcasting. The phone has a dedicated DAB Plus chipset and special application on it meant for digital radio broadcasts. DAB Plus, expected to replace traditional FM radio, doesn't consume mobile data and is free to use. LG is providing broadcasters with a technical interface so that they may create their own DAB Plus applications. The Stylus 2 with DAB Plus will be first available to customers in Australia, Belgium, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Norway, and the UK. LG says DAB Plus is already broadcast in 40 countries, covering some 50, excuse me, 500 million people. LG said uh, hasn't said when it will be sold in the U.S. nor if a U.S. variant will support the DAV+. The phone is a 5.7-inch device with a 3,000 milliamp-hour battery, 1.2 gigahertz quad-core processor, and a 13-megapixel camera with, of course, a stylus and dedicated software for accessing pop-up menus, calligraphy, and more. Then on Tuesday, LG announced two low-cost Android smartphones filling openings in the K range of devices. First, you've got the K8, a stylish design on it, thanks to the use of curved glass edges and a woven back panel. It features a slim metallic body. The K8 is a higher-spec version of a similar phone with a 5-inch 720p HD screen, quad-core 1.3 gigahertz processor, 1.5 gigs of RAM, and an 8-megapixel rear camera with a 5-megapixel camera on the front. Android 6.0 Marshmallow and LG software on it with a 2,125 milliamp hour battery. Uh, rounding out the specs on the K5, 1.3 gigahertz processor, gig of RAM, 8 gigs of storage, support for memory cards, uh, as well as a 5 megapixel main camera, running Android Lollipop 5.1 with a 1900 milliamp hour battery. The K8 available in Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and Latin America, whereas the K5 will be sold in Europe and Latin America. Uh, no word if these will be sold in the U.S. The K7 is being sold in the U.S. by T-Mobile and Boost Mobile, uh, though is sold as the Tribute 5. In software news, Microsoft is rolling out an update this week for uh, Outlook on the iPhone and iPad, implementing support for Touch ID. So now emails, uh, as of today, may of course contain sensitive information, whether it's credentials, banking information, what have you. And so Microsoft will now let you use your fingerprint to authenticate uh, to open the application and keep your email stored on your mobile device safe. As well as Touch ID support, they added the ability to view photos of attendees under events in the agenda view. There's also a shortcut in the three-day uh, in the day and three-day views, so you press and hold a time slot to conveniently create a new event. For those uh, using Touch ID, you need to simply add it in the Outlook settings area. On the Android side, Google gave developers new tools for improving the gaming experience on Android devices. Perhaps the most significant update in the tools is the ability to allow people to trial games for up to 10 minutes directly from Google search results. So Google recently added the ability to install games from Google search results, and game developers will now be able to show video ads in portrait orientation, and they also have tools to target people who game more frequently. Google added the video recording uh, API to the gaming SDK so you can record and rebroadcast gameplay from within a game directly to YouTube. Google is adding an indie section to Google Play Games and to highlight games created by small independent developers. And they also plan to simplify the whole process of inviting others to play games as well. 
Google also announcing the uh, in improvement of the security of its Google Drive suite of productivity apps by allowing document owners to set expiration dates of file access. So users can now let businesses or people restrict how long others can see their files in either docs, sheets, or slides by predetermining access and end dates. So features uh, are limited to files that have been granted view and comment access. These cannot be given to files that have edit access. The expiration date features being rolled out to users over the next few months. Google says the rollout will be completed by the end of June. In other software news, Microsoft improved the browser-based version of Skype with several new tools. To start, users can now call mobile phones and landlines directly from the web, including international numbers, though Skype credit, of course, is required. The web client also gains the ability to view YouTube videos directly in message threads rather than force users to open a separate window. YouTube support includes standard playback controls such as volume and play pause. Skype for the web makes it easier to invite non-Skype users to join conversations with improved sharing tools and new notifications. Uh, mean web users won't miss incoming messages or calls when signed in. Skype for the web is free to use and compatible with mobile Skype apps such as those for Android, iOS, and Windows. Google Maps can now provide estimates for how quickly a taxi or Uber might be able to take you from point A to point B as well as an estimated fare. When people search for directions on their phone, options for a standard car, mass transit, walking, and biking will still show up along with the ride-sharing edition. Users have uh, who have Uber or other ride healing applications installed on their phone will be able to see fair estimates and book with a single tap. Google says it will show multiple options from services that support them, such as Uber's UberX, UberXL, and Uber Black. When Google partnered with Uber in the U.S., uh, it added also 99 taxis in Brazil, Ola cabs in India, Helio in the U.K. and Spain, and MyTaxi in Germany and Spain, and Get in the U.K. as well. The new ride-hailing tool will search Google Maps over Android in the next few days, and it will reach iOS very soon. Google this week uh, updating Hangouts for Google applications. That's the business side with an increased number of people allowed on a single video call from 15 all the way up to 25, although only the most active 10 participants will be visible at any one time. And finally, Google announcing that Inbox now has access to Smart Reply when accessed via desktop browsers. So if you've used Inbox on the mobile device, Smart Reply has been available for quite a while, and it makes uh, responding to emails um, with three short suggested responses based on the content within. You select an automatically generated response and move on. If you require a longer response, it will offer suggestions to get you started. It's powered by a machine learning that uh, suggests more relevant sets of replies, and uh, more than 10% of all emails sent via Inbox uh, or have been using Smart Reply, according to Google. Kind of an interesting concept, I guess, if you're someone who doesn't like to uh, do a lot with email, and uh, you can obviously very easily then respond to messages without really thinking about it, I guess is the idea. I guess so, but you could always just turn on an auto-reply saying, I just don't use email. Uh, that could be another way to do it. Or you could you know, respond to people and say, <laughs> I would like a pepperoni pizza. And the person says, I asked you for your input on this spreadsheet, but whatever. Well, you know, that could work. Yes, it could. No questions or comments this week, but we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call if you'd like to uh, get uh, your voice heard on the show, literally, 650-999-0524, or send us an email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com, and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.